Hello and welcome to the ESPN F1 podcast from Barcelona. We've had six days of pre-season testing at the Circuit de Catalunya and now all, all roads lead to Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix. I'm Nate Saunders and as ever I'm joined by my ESPN colleague Lawrence Edmondson and for the first time on the podcast, a guest, a guest who doesn't work for ESPN, used to work for ESPN as a fun fact, journalist Chris Medland of Racer Magazine. He's called many things. He's Medders to his mates or Medland, so I've always called him Chris. Uh, his Twitter handle quotes a Reddit user in evocatively describing him as the bearded talking head from Netflix's Drive to Survive with a very round face. And that's the best description I've ever heard of a fellow human being. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, great, although I think I need to delete that one now, don't I? Because season two just come out and uh, I've been struck off. So yeah. Spoiler alert, it's, by the it's way. A sad day. I know, that's what everyone's been waiting for with this. They've been waiting to see if I'm in it or not. And I've ruined the series for everybody. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Should we, and should we cut that out of the final edit, shall we? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, anyone listening to this, please just tweet hashtag boycott Medflix because we started calling it Medflix last year. Um, I mean, don't really do that, but also please do pour one out for Chris Medland. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for the support. No worries. I think the best way for us to start this podcast is what happened at the very end of the final day. And it wasn't a lap time that we're starting with. It was what dropped into all of our inboxes. Chris, you say with about 12 minutes remaining of the final day of testing, uh, it was an FIA statement, and I'll read it quickly here, because this was a pretty big talking point last season, and it raised a lot of eyebrows, and it's left a lot of questions, some of which we're not going to be able to answer right now, but we'll give some context of what this means. Uh, the statement said, the FIA announces that after thorough technical investigations, it has concluded its analysis of the operation of the Scuderia Ferrari Formula One power unit and reached a settlement with the team. The specifics of the agreement will remain between the parties. The FIA and Scuderia Ferrari have agreed to a number of technical commitments that will improve the monitoring of all Formula One power units for forthcoming championship seasons, as well as assist the FIA in other regulatory duties in Formula One and its research activities on carbon emissions and sustainable fuels. A wordy one. Medders, what's going on? Well, thanks for throwing that one to me. (laughs) Um, Ferrari were under massive scrutiny at times last year especially towards the end of the season it got very noisy uh, about the way they ran their power unit it would seem the FIA weren't particularly happy with certain things but perhaps technically Ferrari weren't breaking any rules as they were written but going against what the FIA were intending and really not in the spirit of the rules if we're going to use spirit of the rules in such an intense technical competition so the FIA came to an agreement um, to find a way of stopping Ferrari doing what they didn't want them doing without actively penalising them, I guess. Uh, But we don't know the terms because, as it says, it will remain between the parties. And it was very sly of them to slip it in right as everyone was getting busy at the end of the final day of testing and after every press conference that involved Ferrari and the FIA had been done. And there had been a lot this week. Yeah, there had. And, and, And like you say, like everyone had pretty much was either leaving or packing up to leave. Uh, we were the only ones who weren't, but that's the sort of time when we'd want to get our teeth into that kind of story and work out what's going on. Um, Lawrence, this is basically like community service for a Formula One team, is that right? Or, or do you read more? Um, I don't know, it's not really that clear. It does seem that there's an element of uh, punishment there because they're going to have to work with the FIA on something, which is something we've seen before when drivers have maybe crossed the line or something and done something that wasn't quite right. But the odd thing is, is that if Ferrari did do something wrong and there's nothing that says that they did but also there's nothing that says they didn't um then usually these things are dealt with by a technical director or something so the other teams have clarity on what's going on and if it is going to be kept between the fi and ferrari then we may never know so i mean could it be the case that what they found is actually fine but maybe you know in some ways kind of 
uh, went beyond the spirit of the regulations. But it, it's very, very unusual because usually the other teams will be made aware of this so that they don't cross the same line and so that everyone knows where they stand. And on the basis of what we've seen today, like you said at the start, it's very early days in our understanding of the story. Um, the other teams uh, won't, won't know won't know what happened or or, or where they should and shouldn't uh, do stuff. But what one thing we knew already was that um, assuming this is around the fuel system, is that the FI are bringing in a second sensor, uh, which should uh, allow them to monitor fuel flow um, a lot more well with more accuracy and also in, uh, with less chance of their team finding a loophole to get around it. So um, if if that is the case, then uh, perhaps that's already stamped out whatever Ferrari was doing. So I got that exact question to me actually from the guys at Racer when I filed the story saying, but there's a second fuel flow sensor. Should we not allude to maybe it's directly at that? And my response was, well, if it was directly at the fuel flow situation and the second sensor application, then the second sensor would outlaw whatever Fry was doing anyway. And therefore there wouldn't be need for this statement that they'd reached an agreement that was, that was going to be hidden. You know, it had been addressed by this technical directive. That happens quite often, doesn't it? To close off loopholes. Uh, when you see a team's doing something that you're not particularly happy with, you then use a technical directive to close it off. So it seems to be a, a step beyond that or certainly something that we haven't heard about publicly yet. But, um, yeah, it's, it's cheeky that it's been publicly announced that something's going on. But not being told what, and as Lawrence alludes to, it sounds like the teams aren't being informed either, which will really frustrate them. Absolutely. And um, like we said at the beginning, it's likely to develop. I mean, this will be a big talking point going to Melbourne. So please do keep checking back on ESPN for updates. I mean, you might be listening to this and you might know far more than we do, which is often the case with us, I think. But on this instance especially, you might know more on this, uh, this subject. But a great political story to start the 2020 season off with. So we're going to jump straight into the testing itself, the on-track testing itself, and we'll start at the very top of the timing screens. Mercedes was the quickest, both on the final day, Valtteri Bottas set the quickest time uh, as of today when we were recording this podcast, but the quickest time overall. It was a 1.15.7, which is the quickest time at a test at the circuit to Catalonia, but wasn't plain sailing for Mercedes. A lot of little reliability issues, and Lewis, speaking on Friday, said those were a pretty big concern, and he says this is going to be what he thinks Mercedes' toughest year in this era. Now, we've heard talk like that before, but it is pretty rare to see Mercedes kind of having a lot of different issues in preseason. You know, usually they're very, very... I mean, they were very, very good at getting out of the box, getting a lot of laps in, but they had a lot of issues along the way. So, is this an Achilles heel for Mercedes, or is this just some gremlins popping up in testing that we won't see again throughout the rest of the season? I think it's more likely to be the latter in the sense of Mercedes have been very good at reacting to when they've had trouble uh, throughout this era. And you only have to look at last season. It was not you know, make-believe that Ferrari looked really strong and Mercedes felt they were struggling during pre-season testing. And there was two sides to that because obviously there's two teams involved. But from the Mercedes point of view, they developed that car very well but found a way of unlocking the performance towards the end of the second test and that's because the the people they have in place are very good at doing what they do and found a way of getting the most out of that car when they'd initially struggled a little bit so I imagine if you look at that history they'll find a way to fix any issues they've got right now but you're right that this was a little bit more um, surprising than in the past because we're at the end of the era we're at the point where you'd expect the cars to be at their most reliable admittedly to agree with Lewis this is the point where you'd expect convergence to reach its peak as such because it's the final year of these set of regulations um, and that would mean that others would be getting closer to them but 
I leaving aside the performance side of things because I'm, I'm sure like Lawrence will go into some of the long run data a bit more in depth as well but uh, the reliability issues I think were flagged up originally by Williams who were getting pretty punchy about how frustrated they were with uh, power unit issues they were having but we weren't seeing quite the same sort of thing on the Mercedes and then the following day was when Lewis stopped on track uh, yesterday the penultimate day and that was certainly not planned and certainly not ideal because there's you know a big chunk of running that they missed out on there so yeah I think it's it's legitimate that there's some issues to be ironed out and Mercedes does have a good history of ironing them out but you never know it could it could be something that they have to be a little bit careful with maybe at the start of the season while they just get fixes in place I think it also speaks to how hard Mercedes have pushed on the engine side it was probably the area where they'd fallen behind the most last year and the engine team in Brixworth was basically tasked with um, making getting more power out of the engine which is never simple especially when the regulations are stable as they are making it lighter and also improving uh, the cooling capacity of it so that Mercedes have actually got bigger radiators this year but um, the idea was you know that it can run to higher temperatures and they've really been working hard on that uh, in uh, Bricksworth and in Bradley um, to make sure it can run to higher temperatures they had those big problems in Austria is probably when it was most obvious uh, last year so it shows how hard they push and I, I do wonder whether maybe they're trying to you know push the bracket a little bit further and uh, and how much of that was down to what Ferrari were doing last year and how much can Ferrari continue to do that this year is an interesting thing have they actually pushed Mercedes into uh, developing an engine that's um, that's on the limit but um, as I think Chris said a minute ago if you're going to put your money on one team to sort it out it's going to be Mercedes yeah that's been the consistent story of this era I was actually thinking um, it's a good case Careful. for to, yeah, yeah these two know very well that, that never leads to a good thing but on this occasion maybe it did um, pre-season testing for a top team like Mercedes Sometimes it's frustrating that Mercedes hit this issue in pre from a competitive point of view. You know, you've got the team that's dominated the recent past and obviously, you know, little teething problems with their engine and they hit it on day five of six in pre-season testing. You know, if they'd hit that in Australia, that has a big impact on the first race, has a big impact on the championship. And we were talking a little bit about the amount of testing. It went from eight days last year to six days this year. Do you think bigger teams should have less time to test? Would that make the competitive order a bit better I think we spoke about this a little bit in the media centre but I mean we speak about so much at the media centre I'm yeah. not sure if this we, is one of we, we had six days of kind of sat around with each other and, <laughs> and a lot um, of it is not repeatable right now no we got talking about it and one idea I thought is that if, if you have a, a kind of order where the team that finished 10th in the previous year's championship gets 10 days of testing and then you work backwards nice. so 9th gets 9 days down to Mercedes or the world champions or whoever will get one day of testing and then they have to go straight to Australia I mean you'd never get it past the existing governance system because teams would block it but I think that would make it quite interesting wouldn't it like so the teams that are really struggling get more time and even if it wasn't the case that um you know it's like that right from the very start and maybe you kind of give teams the top teams a tiny bit more but it would be it'd be an interesting situation if teams you know have to do it and the other thing is because those small teams um a lot of them turn up and they've done maybe the 100 kilometer filming day maybe not whereas the big teams have these testing rigs that they've been working on usually for several weeks before they even do their filming day where they've kind of flushed out a lot of the bugs in in the system so i mean that's the other thing though i think uh you know while yeah okay mercedes have got these problems out in testing and i'm sure they'll work on them ahead of australia um they actually you know, been working on this engine for quite a long time and they've been working uh, with it on the testing rigs in Brackley for quite a long time and still they're having problems. So maybe it speaks to a, a weakness in that engine as well. There is a point you made though that you've flagged up just now that because Mercedes are trying to extend kind of the 
window that they can run that engine and, and how hard they can run it. But if they've got some reliability issues, if they scale it back slightly, if they have pushed as far as it looks like they have over the winter, that might still be an improvement on performance compared to last year. Or, you know, it's still a very high level of performance. It's just that maybe you're not going to its full potential. So, you know, these teams are always pushing limits all over the place. And we've seen it with different innovations and things like that. But um, on the testing plan, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah I love Lawrence, that. Lawrence the Edmondson, the the Edmondson doctrine. For yeah, let's get that one in. We'll, we'll uh, put that one to the FIA. Sure, they've got nothing else on their play at the moment, so they can sort <laughs> yeah. that. It's fine. Although, would you have people, ta- you know, in NFL people tank for the best draft pick? Would you tank at the end of the season? You know, your eighth, you're like, oh, if we. But then it's only one. That's why I actually. But the, like, prize, prize, money, prize, but money the prize money is still included, yeah. That's yeah. true. And because uh, that's your great. sliding scale right, being just one day between each position, I think that's quite good because it's not like you're going to go from. Yeah, three days in the four days. championship up to fifth in one round normally at the end of the season. It's going to be one position at most, so it's worth more money than it is a day. I reckon. So yeah, I like quite like that idea. We often think, don't we, in the media centre, we have a bunch of ideas, and we're like, have we just have we just saved F one. I think Lawrence Edmondson might just have done and, that. And, and usually, somebody's already thought of them and realised they're awful ideas. <laughs> yeah. but, um, and, and and we don't talk about the fact that these clearly haven't made the the, the planning stage for a reason. But yeah. um, that one, I actually really really like. Um, looking beyond Mercedes, there are two teams we know who can potentially challenge Mercedes: Red Bull and Ferrari. Ferrari did the best job of that last year. Um, where do we think those two teams are in relation to each other? And crucially, how close are they to Mercedes? Because it was kind of difficult to gauge performance. But Lawrence, you were looking at some longer run stuff, some race pace. I mean, we've all been trackside. Um, what did you make of those two teams? Yeah, it's really tricky to gauge at the moment, mainly because Mercedes and Red Bull did all their long running last week and Ferrari did it this week. So um, the indications are, though, that probably Ferrari isn't as far behind on long-run pace as maybe it appears to be on single-lap pace, uh, where it does seem to have a deficit. And last week, uh, there was this theory that they were running an engine mode that was behind those of their customers, so they were, in theory, losing as much as a second uh, on a on a fast lap. A theory um, kind of hinted at by Mercedes. In by their, Mercedes, in their it post, has to be said. In, 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 in week in one release. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, that was put to Matteo Bonotto, Ferrari team principal, and he said uh, that it wasn't true. Um, but we still kind of think that there's, they're holding something back in some way or another, even if it's in a you know in a normal kind of testing way. I don't think they're going out of their way to try and hide their hand. But um, but yeah, when you look at their uh, C5 time, so the time on the fastest compound, I've got it down as a 16.3 uh, compared to Bottas's 16.1 today. So it's not masses, um, uh, it just all depends on what you think the teams are doing at that point. The Red Bull, I think, does look quick. Um, it had Its fast time was on the C4, so slightly harder compound, which is slower compound. Uh, but it also did an impressive time on the C3, which was only about a tenth slower than their time on the C4. So mm-hmm. when you start to factor in how much each of those tyres should give you um, every time you go down a compound and it gets softer, um, then really there's the potential for that Red Bull to be very quick indeed. But I think, again, if that tells anything, it's probably just that the teams haven't shown us yet what they're doing. And just on that last point, it's, you know, different cars do react differently. But Carlos Sainz, I think, said today that the C4, um, they don't find a massive gain on, or the C, I believe it was. So between C3 and C4, they don't find one. C5, they do, but they uh, didn't run the C5 McLaren. Either way, it was that there, there was a, a clear gap between five and four. So that would suggest that if Verstappen had put on that C5, he would have gone a, a chunk quicker. But like Lawrence says, it's, it is tough to read into. Yeah. And, and that Red Bull does look a little bit peaky. Um, there's been quite a few spins for both Verstappen and Albon. And I like the way that they're like, well, we're pushing the limits. Why wouldn't you? This is testing. You want to know what you've got underneath you. But 
no other car I think looked quite as unstable at certainly at sort of low speed the rear end of the car at low speed looked tricky and um, yeah I don't, you're never planning to put it in the gravel or spin at any stage you know you don't want to risk damaging something or losing lap time so as much as in testing you are pushing to a limit there is a point that you're you're running a bit back yeah, to, to that end Kevin Magnussen actually said that yesterday uh, he gave up on his race run essentially and really backed off because he'd run wide lost a load of tyre temp couldn't get it back in and he said if it was the final few laps of a real race you take the risk you know you try and get the temperature back in you push really hard to try and get back that performance but on a testing day it's not worth that risk if you then put it in the wall that's far more costly so there are margins here yeah and Lando Norris said something interesting on testing and kind of the anomalies of it as well is that you, obviously you can use DRS whenever you want in testing and he said he spent I think it was on Thursday he said he spent about eight laps trying to get past the car in front of him using that wouldn't have had it in a race so as a race simulation and all these things there's, there's all these tiny little variables that kind of as we know throw these things off even the temperature a couple of degrees either way and suddenly you know when Bottas set his time in week one I think it was much much better weather than when the times that we saw today on friday so yeah a lot of variables um you could actually notice that today massively i was just went out trackside because i'm a social media hall and i was going i'm gonna take some photos for instagram it's at true, the start of the day absolutely loves it and uh and i wandered down to turn six and seven and was watching cars through there in the sunshine beautiful pretty warm and looked quick and then we went all out there didn't we towards the end of the day to yep. see some more high fuel running and there was cloud cover and, and wind picked up and it was cold so yeah, that makes sure. a real difference the wind obviously to car handling but temperatures as well yeah absolutely and i think that it, it's really easy to kind of underestimate the impact that all those little things have on testing i mean you know during a race weekend we'll talk about it you know if if a friday isn't completely as representative as a qualifying session or a race it's a huge thing even if it's a couple of degrees out so in testing it's a whole different ball game and of course we don't know fuel we don't know engine modes all those things which makes lawrence's job right now he's actually doing the analysis for the uh team by team it makes his job so much more fun because a lot of it there's a lot of educated guesswork to go into it and there's a lot of things you can see that kind of tell you the pecking order but a lot of things you just have to say well we don't know this um but we think we do one thing i thought was very interesting you mentioned about the lap times earlier today and whether ferrari had turned down their engine and and questions like that accusations from mercedes but what we do get to see is the speed trap uh numbers from the fastest laps and i didn't see bottas's from his lap but we saw it from when hamilton did it to compare to leclerc and hamilton was four kilometers an hour slower through the speed trap on his fastest lap than leclerc was and hamilton was 11 kilometers an hour slower through it than ricardo was um i think perez was the quickest and he was 14 kph quicker than hamilton so that's a mercedes power unit in each of those cars so you can see how they are running things differently or maybe just not giving everything at the right time that that can cloud these things and it's because teams don't want to give everything away because all performance is relative and in one sense if you can all you have to do is develop a car that's going to beat your rivals it doesn't actually have to be the quickest thing you can develop as long as no one else develops anything quicker So we've kind of covered the top three. Um, I think in a, in a bit we'll kind of try and rank where we think everyone is. But the midfield this year looks absolutely fascinating. I think all those, we, we were talking about convergence, that there's suggestions that the midfield itself might be close to the front. But what we do seem to see from testing so far is that those midfield teams are going to be so much closer this year, especially at the start. And what's great about that is a lot of these teams aren't going to be developing these cars for too long, given the fact that 2021 is such a big regulation change. Uh, racing point to me seemed like the benchmark in that midfield. They just, they, they looked the strongest throughout in terms of the mileage they did. But I haven't been paying as close attention to the times as Lawrence. I know, Chris, you've been looking at them as well. So 
what, what do you guys make of that? And do you agree with that assessment that it will be pretty pretty close between a lot of teams this year? So I tried to pay attention trackside specifically today as well, um, partly knowing that I was coming on this and couldn't have <laughs> not watched cars going round. Uh, but also then asked Lawrence about some of the long run analysis and. I, it does seem like it's going to be really tight between McLaren and Racing Point, I think. Racing Point were very confident, and admirably so, that they've come with this car that's very similar to last year's Mercedes, but one, they defended their route, and two, them were saying, yeah, this thing's quick. Uh, and I like that. I don't, you know, I'm not a huge fan of when teams try and downplay expectations. I like a bit of confidence when they know what they've got. Uh, but McLaren was similar, especially today. I interviewed both James Keane and Andreas Seidel, and um, both of them were very upbeat they'd completed all of their test program car had done exactly what they'd expected it to do they'd brought upgrades this week that had done what they were expecting and even if the performance is maybe slightly behind the racing point I think they have complete confidence in the way they're working as a team and with the car that they've brought and the way they're going in the direction with that car that they will give racing point a real fight for fourth place yeah it's I think it is between um, those two at the front midfield, McLaren and Racer Point. I think Renault could be there, but again, don't actually have the data to completely back that up. So I'm going to focus on uh, McLaren and Racing Point for now. And I, they both did long runs at very similar uh, times today. So they both did a whole race simulation. And uh, if you average out all their times, there was one tenth in it. Uh, and it went wow. to McLaren. Over so, the course of a race. Over the course of a, a race distance. There's obviously lots of little variables that, as we can talk about, you know, can ski that. But I think when you have 66 laps to play with and uh and you're averaging it out it just shows how close it is so that could be one way it could be the other way uh that's how that's how close it is the the, rep, uh, the racing point looks really really good on single laps actually um across all the tire compounds c3 c4 and uh c5 i had them all uh logged in the uh, 16s uh 16.6 on the c3s which is actually really really very good um but my concern about uh, the racing point is if you drill a little bit further into those times, you look at the individual sector times, the racing point was losing quite a lot of time in the final sector. And uh, that to me suggests like low speed uh, corners, medium speed corners, the sort that you might come across in Australia. The racing point might not be so good. And I think they're still trying to get their head completely around that car. Remember, they've changed complete concept from one to the other. And I think they've uh, done a brilliant job in the fact that they've been able to hit the ground running, get some very impressive times on the board but at the same time there's going to be a lot of lessons they have to learn about that car uh, adapting it you know setup options whether it responds uh, nicely to setup um whereas i think mclaren were really in a stride with that towards the end of last year and um this year's car is a kind of evolution it's at least taken some of the main principles from last year's car into this year's car so they know a little bit more about what it's going to do when they do that racing point I don't know, maybe they won't, but I think there's a danger that they'll get lost at some circuits uh, just trying to understand how that car works. Uh, I might be wrong, but um, but I, I think that's a, an extra challenge racing point to have this year. And then, yeah, the, the Renault is the other one, which, you know, on, on pure lap time, it looks like it's it's in the mix with those two, um, but uh, we didn't get a clear look, or I didn't get a clear look at a race run at the same time and stuff like that, so it's, it's quite hard to, hard to I mean, compare from that perspective. Absolutely shocking, you know, Lawrence wasn't chained to his desk for six hours it's more, more I was amazed most of the day yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's actually it's very just... impressive I wish people could have seen it it's it's big spreadsheet is open and every couple of seconds you hear this tapping on the keyboard and it's Lawrence putting in lap times in a very kind of old school way I had a lot of respect for it and I don't have the attention span to do anything near that there's got to be a better way to do it I'm just not intelligent <laughs> I'm sure there to is but to we haven't found we'll, it we'll probably just go to a team <laughs> and ask them for the for the for the lap times which um yeah can be done as well but um no it's quite good because uh, and the, as you go through it you do see 
developments in, in how they do their race runs as well, which is kind of interesting. And what's great for us is that because he's chained to his desk, we can go off and have a coffee or something, and he's not there. Yeah. We can talk <laughs> about him and whatever we want, and then we just come back and he tells us what's going on. So yeah. it's, it's perfect. But um, there was one thing confused. I can say for sure from testing on Friday, the final day, is that I had more coffee today than I think I've had for about three years because of that. I think that's because Lawrence was just at his desk all day. So next time, I think we need a better system because I must have had about five or six. Um, so shout, that, out, that, shout out to Red Bull who have the best coffee in the paddock. What? Ooh, you're going to get into trouble for that. Mercedes I am, make you a coffee. Oh, Mercedes do. There's, there's a lot of good coffee in the paddock, to be fair. McLaren's is good. Yeah, I struggle to find bad coffee in the paddock, but Red Bull is the most convenient to get to yeah. uh, during testing and have a machine where you can go and use it. This is the really in-depth yeah. chat. You guys I know you guys have been podcast. waiting the entire podcast for um, this. But you have to be careful, because today I ended up with Adrian Newey behind me looking quite impatient, and there I was getting a second coffee. I think it was for you, Nate. And I just kept looking at it. I, like, oh, I didn't know the cost of that coffee. I didn't know what it cost you. Yeah, yeah. What it cost him? What it cost Red Bull in lap time? Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, uh, that, yeah, exactly. That was a good kind of 20 seconds, Adrian. He, he was sketching on his whiteboard exactly. in the concert. Yeah, yeah. He, he was actually in the queue behind me as well yesterday, and I allowed him to go ahead of me. Although that was because there was someone else between the two of us who was also in Red Bull full gear. And whenever you go into a team motorhome and want a coffee, I always feel bad being ahead of them, like you said today, because uh, you think you've got more important work to do, and this is yours. You own this coffee machine, so I'll jump out the way. Um, but you can end up there for half an hour, just always rotating to the back of the queue each time. So at one point, you have to be yeah. a bit difficult and get in the way. But yes. I want to pull us back quickly to the one-tenth gap between Racing Point and McLaren. Do we say that's epic, mega, going to be great, look at that tight fight, or does that make for bad racing? Because if you've got two cars so closely matched on track, no, essentially put it well, into a race scenario. We've gone a race sim. Is that close? Do they just follow each other around for a whole? No, because I think they're very different cars. So I think I think you'll have situations at certain tracks. Like I said, if you look at the uh, at the individual sector times, you know, the racing point has some weaknesses, and McLaren maybe looks better overall. So I think that could actually make very exciting racing. And thing is, if it was five tenths difference, you wouldn't see the other one. It would just disappear. It would leave the other one behind. But um. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's good, but I also think, you know, you can spend the hours I did getting all these times in, and then we'll go to Australia and it's a completely different racetrack. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're not that close when we hit Australia, but um, it's all kind of track dependent. It's also, I mean, Ferrari learned this the hard way last year where they thought they had a car that was brilliant. It felt brilliant. It was good under braking, all this kind of stuff. Uh, they kind of calculated their cooling figures, all that kind of stuff. And then it was all just wrong when they got to Australia. And um, it took them, well, it took them half a year really to even get close to Sorn out. Any teams you guys think in big trouble? Or is it hard to say too um, much? Alfa Romeo is one that's disappointed me the most. Um, the car doesn't look that good on track. The um, long runs, uh, pretty disappointing. And I think they will have Williams breathing down their neck. Um, yeah, again, all the usual caveats. But from what I've seen... They're a uh, solid ninth um, at, uh, behind the likes of House and Alfa Tori, who are just ahead. And, um, yeah, and Williams aren't that far behind. And, uh, you know, I just feel like Alfa Romeo, you, you, you never really know what you're going to get, do you? But um, but in testing last year, I don't remember them looking quite this bad. And uh, and I think that's a, that's a hard kind of situation to turn around for many of the reasons you just mentioned, Nate, which is that, you know, you've got to start till it's 2021 as well. So, um, yeah, that's it. No team is in trouble or such, you know, not in the same way Williams was last year, but Alfa Romeo have, um, disappointed me the most. If you're one of those teams, sorry, Chris, I'll let you jump in in a sec, but if you're one of those teams right at the back and you know that early on, would you just suddenly say, okay, well, look, 2020 is a write off. It's a hard one to sell to a driver, I guess, but you say, look, 
you know, we're going to put all of our attention, instead of putting all of our attention to 2021 in June or July, we're doing it in April or May. Do you think some of those teams will see that, the opportunity to do that and maybe the benefits of doing that early? Yeah, I imagine most have probably planned almost for that anyway. Yeah. It's, it, it's all, we almost get into a stage where it's too late because what you've got now is already stuff in the development pipeline for this year. You've probably got your manufacturing times and lead times where you're going to be up to a certain date where you cut off and go everything into 21 is very soon if you haven't done it already. Um, because it's, it takes a couple of months to get certain parts onto the cards. So, uh, with the, size of the change for 21 it is a huge change in terms of cars like design philosophy and everything uh i do think that most probably are already very close to that um and that there might be a few that are more tempted if they're in a close fight they have a decision to make do they just extend a tiny little bit more development time or have an have a little look at a few more things uh but for but for most i think they will write it off and as you say in the knowledge that everyone else will be doing the same mm. The one temptation there is if you're the one team that doesn't, can you make a bigger gain? But uh, I, I actually think just be, the change just seems so big for next year. I, I think most uh, it's going to be kind of locked in where we're at um, fairly early on. But as you said, that could be that could be great news. Yeah, yeah. It, it also depends on the team's understanding of the car. If they can see there's an easy fix somewhere, then it's worth pursuing for this year. Uh, you know, if they can see that from early on. But if it's if it's a case that um, certainly a team like Racing Point, they've said that they aren't going to um, go much. They're not going to develop the car much beyond what they end up in Australia because there's going to be a huge amount they can gain just from understanding the car and pushing the concepts on from a pure trackside engineering point of view that they don't need to go into uh, back into the wind tunnel and start redesigning it because they're starting with such a fresh concept. So it really does vary team to team. And I think it also depends a little bit on the pressure the teams have from above. A team like Renault, I think there's huge pressure to finish fourth. So they might actually be tempted because, you know, future's not 100% certain going beyond. They might be a little bit tempted to just make sure they get that fourth place. So I've been trying to gesture to Meadows while you were talking. I was, I was kind of half listening, but also you ranked the teams in your top 10. I did. And I thought that was the best segue into this. And, um, I realize I'm awful at hand gestures or trying to, trying to tell someone to, something. It's when fine. Not no, no one can see this. Yeah, now they know. Now they know. I should have this. is definitely staying in because now they definitely know what you're Yeah. Done. And I was trying to give you um, some time to actually find the tweet. Thanks for listening, guys, by the way. Yeah. No worries. No, I'm really glad I really, made that I really like the point you made at the beginning and the, the middle. Yeah. Like, that was strong. <laughs> and, um, and the bit about the center was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um so. I can't yeah. believe you said that <laughs> Williams are going to win the championship. That's crazy. Um, we'll get onto that in a bit. Yeah. You asked for my ranking. Yeah. So this is Chris Medlin's ranking and I saw it earlier and I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I went, yeah, I thought I'd go for the rundown. I had it last year where someone said after the first test, like, yeah, can you give us the ranking? I'm just plugging a, a tweet that banged. A very good um, tweet to be fair. But, it, but I just said it was way too early all the way down to number 10 and then just said Williams. And that was easy then. And certain parts of it I think are pretty easy now. I think we can say certainly on raw pace, first Mercedes, 10th mm-hmm. Williams. But I, I went for a ranking of the final championship order. So the constructors championship positions at the end of the season, because there's, Something Lawrence has pointed out about the anomalies of Melbourne as a circuit, Albert Park. It's too easy just to go, oh, well, Team X is doing brilliantly and Team Y is in crisis based on qualifying in Melbourne. But that does not represent the full season. So I've tried to think, how is this going to average out over the full season? And my ranking was uh, Mercedes ahead of Red Bull second in the championship, Ferrari third. Uh, I've got McLaren fourth, Racing Point fifth. Uh, Renault sixth, Alpha Tauri seventh, or Alpha Tauri, we're still not sure how to say that. Uh, Harson eighth, Alpha Romeo ninth, and Williams tenth. I think it's a solid list. And yeah, Alpha Tauri, I'm just gonna call him Alpha T, cause I don't know, I don't Alpha, think anyone knows. Alpha T just sounds, Alpha that T. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like he's on the, on the, what's Mr. T, what was that program? 
the A-team. The A-team. Yeah. That was good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that went very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that list. And I think I like that you put McLaren ahead of Racing Point. Um, because I think over the course of a season, I think they'll be the stronger team. Um, I'm interested by Renault, though. I, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Renault's had such big expectations that they've given themselves, really, over the last few years. I think if they finish there, there'd be a lot of questions asked about Renault. Well, uh, something Lawrence pointed out, though, was you know, they, there's uncertainty over their future, but I feel like they can almost buy themselves a bit more time if they commit to saying 21 is when it's all going to happen, and they're almost mm. writing off this year to an extent. They do seem to have gone with a different direction with this car, and they hid that for a while. Certainly the front end. We didn't see any pictures of the nose until it ran on track. And I wonder if they thought, right, we'll throw a lot at the base car we launch, but not a lot of development at all. We're, we, you know, we're going to hope that that's strong and, and jumps up to fourth or in that mix. And if it doesn't, doesn't matter. Our big chance is 2021. So that's why I've got them in sixth. And when you mentioned about teams that disappointed a bit, actually Alpha Tauri come in there for me because I thought they were going to be more in that mix with McLaren, Renault and Racing Point based on the partnership they have with Red Bull. Now there's so much crossover technology there. Honda do seem to be getting their act together pretty well. Red Bull do talk in terms of, you know, maybe there's a championship to fight for. Uh, and I thought Avatari would therefore be more in that mix of McLaren, Racing Point and Renault rather than looking like they're going to be fighting with Haas, Alfa and Williams more likely. So Nate, what is coming next? Well, I'm glad you asked, Madders, because I've been planning this for at least 25 minutes before we left the media centre. We have some fan questions, you've got some, I've got some here, and then, uh, as a little hat tip to our colleague uh, and your former housemate, Tom Hamilton, who has always called me Pooch, we have the Pooch pouch here, <laughs> which is actually a bag I use for my headphones, a little bag, but I've got some little uh, questions in there, and we're going to answer them as quick fire and as, uh, hopefully, authoritatively as we can but Chris um, you've got some questions lined up there so far away there is nothing authoritative about what's going on right now is there <laughs> no. um, yeah I actually just said that we were doing this on Twitter and any questions that people want to fire in so these have come in live and we've not vetted anything or uh, I'm not going to cut anything out I'm just going to find the first one I read uh, one was the media reaction to the timing of the FIA for our engine announcement which I think we covered earlier but a lot of cynical uh, it was kind of <sighs> what yeah, yeah. It, uh, I think it was immediately kind of made people ask more questions. So, yeah. um, unfortunately, there's no one around to ask the questions too. But yeah. it immediately made people think, well, this seems a bit, a bit unusual, a bit dodgy, maybe. It's 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 the sort of thing you do when you know that there's a long, complicated answer to something, but they just didn't want it to dominate testing. So very frustrating. Uh, what was the most unexpected thing from testing? Oh, that is a good one. Most unexpected thing, um, I'd say. I'd say Ferrari, I came here expecting that we'd see Ferrari show a lot more and maybe be a bit closer to Mercedes. Um, off the top of my head, I'd, I'd say that because I think a lot of things have been fairly similar in terms of, you know, everyone's kind of converging, like we've said, and the order hasn't changed dramatically at the front. And I was really hoping Ferrari would kind of come and steal pre-season. Laz, what about you? Maybe Mercedes reliability is the only thing oh, yeah. that springs to my mind just because we're so used to seeing them turn up and... For the most part, the first test, they did turn up and just do very, very well and put in a lot of laps on the board. They got the most in the first test, haven't checked the second test. But um, but then, yeah, to see them actually have genuine concerns uh, is a bit of a surprise because I don't remember last time Mercedes had major reliability concerns, certainly with the power unit. Yeah. Mine's the racing point because I didn't know it was going to be a Mercedes 2019 clone, essentially. And I was at the launch and they were very bullish about how good it was and they clearly didn't show off any of the car there. But mm. in one sense, you think you should have seen that coming. But... 
I didn't. Um, I'm not sure. No, I don't did, think. I don't think many. And that's why it was such a good talking point on that first day. Oh, and I guess the other one is the DAS that we saw from Mercedes last last week because none true. of us really saw that coming. We spoke about it on the podcast last week, but I think to start with, when I first saw that, I genuinely thought that Valtteri Bottas had pulled the steering wheel off the off the Mercedes somehow. That was pretty cool. Uh, also, I'm just going to one agree with you. Yeah. Das was unexpected and secondly uh, the tweet actually said what was the most expected thing from testing and I'm assuming they meant unexpected but if it's the most expected it was Mercedes at the top of the timesheets yep I'd say so agreed uh, now uh, which best of the rest team is most likely to put their nose into the top three this season and could they be a consistent contender now Lawrence you did this I think on a little ESPN video at the end of the day and said you thought Racing Point most likely to get podium I think podiums uh, not as a on pure pace but I think they're just a team that operates very well and uh, they haven't actually had a car to do it in recent years because they haven't had the funding to do it but we've seen them on the podium so often before and uh, I think now that they've got this solid platform underneath them at certain circuits uh, I think they're going to be very competitive and if the top three teams run into trouble I think they're going to be there yeah I'd agree I think that car looks like if they get it right which is the bit that I'm still not fully convinced but if they maximise everything from that I think it's going to be very strong it, if it is basically last year's Merc we know how quick that was when it worked so yeah, yeah fire, racing point. fire up Sergio Perez and Baku there you go that's his favourite place to steal one of those isn't it yeah that's true he's very strong there uh, then another one comes in that says if Albon has a similar first half to 2020 that Gasly did in 2019 will Red Bull switch the drivers or give Albon a longer leash this is a really interesting one it's a genuinely good question because we saw with Kriat when he got demoted the impact that had on him and I don't think that the same things happened to Gasly we saw him get a podium last year but you've, after a while you can't just keep demoting a driver and promoting someone who you've already demoted because the reason Kriat isn't considered to go up there is because he's already been to Red Bull and he's come back down so Gasly I think Gasly's done much better at Toro Rosso and obviously now he's now Tor, uh, Alfa Tori but I don't know I feel like Albon seemed like a longer term project when he was at Toro Rosso and I feel like now they're kind of not I don't want to say stuck with him in a bad way because I think I, I rate Albon a lot but he's in a really tough situation I think Red Bull have to realise that as well that you put a lot of drivers against Max Verstappen and not all of them are going to are going to do the same as him or, or really compete as well as you want them to I think there's a fundamental flaw in the premise of the question because I think part of the reason Gasly struggled so much was a mental thing as well he kind of went into a downward spiral and I don't see that same thing in Albon I think Albon is actually a much stronger uh, individual in that respect and so even if the results aren't there I think Red Bull will see the fire in him uh, and they'll they'll want to keep him add that to the fact that who do you bring in as Nate pointed out yeah. and uh, and I, I see Albon staying there till the end of the year plus Red Bull it just starts to highlight the weakness that I think we've already seen in, in their young driver programme since Max kind of blew it apart which is great to end up with Max Verstappen don't get me wrong but um, it's also kind of uh, you know he broke the glass ceiling and left shards of glass going down on everyone else beneath him what do you th- what do you think yeah i i agree with you both it's a it's an if it happened so hypothetically if it happened i don't see them dropping him because uh of his lack of experience in f1 as well i think rebel is still learning a lot about him and they'll they'll leave him there because as you say the other options they know a lot about whereas this time last year they didn't know a lot about albon and that's why he got that chance they were looking at something new so they don't have that new thing to look at right now uh so yeah that's why i think he'll get we call it a longer leash i think it's just yeah the circumstance would mean he'd he'd have more time and let's not forget albon should have had a podium last year in brazil you know he was very unlucky with what happened with lewis and you know i think that that would have changed if he'd gone into the season with that podium under his belt i think you know he wouldn't seem even remotely under pressure because you'd say oh he's got the podium now he can 
kick on from that maybe very true uh, I've got another question that came in on here from Scott Mitchell of the asking, race of the race asking sauce question mark oh and that's not he's not asking you what your favourite sauce is he's nope. asking you what was my of- sauce to uh, asking for fan questions yeah. and my source was you two because it's your podcast yeah, well, my, I, was just, my, my, I was just about to say Bettis has completely hijacked yeah. the ESPN podcast yeah. former ESPN this is going to be running uh, you, 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 you saw this happening happen. I knew this was going to happen he's got every job going in the paddock and Absolutely. he's just taking another one um, but yeah so to, to explain I mean I think this is worth explaining because always, this always makes me laugh when you get that message so you'll be in a press conference and you'll tweet something you know usually very informative that moves a story on and you will have people saying source mm-hmm. as if what's your source and you literally will reply me in the press conference hearing it from the mouth of daniel ricardo or whoever so um and yeah i think scott mitchell does that to you like every other tweet right yeah he's not alone either so it's fun i really wish i hadn't actually pointed it out now because it might become even more of a thing which it doesn't need to Everybody so please no, no no don't 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 listen to the man who's hijacked this podcast please reply <laughs> either either with a, uh, a tweet about netflix or just reply source and you can spell source how you want um i've got some <laughs> questions here unless you've got any Go more no. i've just realized you didn't name check a single person who asked this question well i was going to apart from, Scott Mitchell, but, but, apart from <laughs> another journalist but some of them are tricky aren't they because they're sort of strange twitter names That's and true. anyone who did ask it hopefully will listen hello yeah, to yeah, you are yeah. and they will know it's their question so yeah. well done to you all Good. But, you, I mean, you failed the audition to actually host this podcast in the future. Uh, Nate's just <laughs> defending his job here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, desperately. Absolutely. <laughs> trying to claw control back. Um, I've got there's a nice mix of three that I have, and then we're going to uh, open the bag. The bag of... The pouch. <laughs> What's the it called? Has it changed the name? Pouch. <laughs> yeah. The pooch pouch. I should explain that. So I get called Nate Dog a lot, and then Tom Hamilton, our colleague, called me Nate Pooch, or just Pooch. Because so, of Nate Dog. Yeah. Yeah, well explained. Equals pooch. Just so people didn't think we were being completely, completely stupid, which is usually a f- fair assessment. Um, three questions. <laughs> Top hosting. I'm going to try and say people. <laughs> I'm Frank, well the pressure. Now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and say these people's names, and I think one of them went to school with Lawrence. I think this one, C. Y. Ferguson. No, that's not the one. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> right, Lawrence, you take over now. Um, um, yeah. So, C.Y. Hosting. Ferguson, who didn't go to school with Lawrence Edmondson, or, I assume, Chris Medland. Um, not as far as I'm aware. Um, he said, in extreme cases, how different can a car be in testing compared to Melbourne? And I think that's a very good question, because all the teams only had one car here, because they're working on the other one, and they're working on a slew of upgrades. But it's pretty big, right, you would say? In extreme cases, yeah. Um, but most we want to run at least the majority of the package in testing to get a feel for it because if you have any correlation issues uh, or any manufacturing issues and then you go to Melbourne and you don't have the complete package then you're in big trouble so it can be fairly different I don't think they will be massively different this year yeah it's usually variations on a theme so a concept you have you might be able to change it but you remember most of the stuff that does arrive in Australia was actually planned pre this testing. So you can't even really react to testing. So it's, um, it's, if your correlation is all stacking up and it looks good, then you'll push ahead with stuff you had planned, uh, pre testing and it will end up on the car in Australia. If your correlation is not looking so good, you might actually hold back on some of that. The next one is SGTRF. That's the man. Sam this Stafford, is the man. Yeah. Okay. This is the man who went to school with Lawrence. Uh, really good question. Who out of the current grid would you most like to go for a pint with down the pub and why? I think the easy one to say here is Daniel Ricciardo, but I think you'd have a few beers with Daniel Ricciardo and then he'd start trying to put like a fly in your drink or something and he'd just, you know, because he'd, he'd get so excited about everything and by the end you'd be like, you know what, I, I, I can't deal with this. I'd love to go for a pint with Daniel Ricciardo. Kimi Räikkönen would be mine. Well, you've just stolen 
two of the 20 drivers on the grid, 10% of the grid <laughs> you've just stolen. I'm trying to re- I, I, I have a different one, if, if, if I can steal a, yeah, a, a, another 5%. I'll go for Sebastian Vettel, I think. Because, nice. one, he's not going to look at his phone, because, um, you know, he doesn't really use his phone. Apparently, he has very few apps on it, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and two, I reckon he'd just be really interesting. He's more my age. A lot of them, I think, probably would just feel like they've kind of, you know, gone for a drink with an old man. But uh, Vettel's more my age. I think it'd be fascinating. You could talk politics, you could talk all sorts of stuff. I, I reckon it'd be great. That's so a great I'm going with that's field. I, yeah, I, that's a good shout, but I wouldn't pick Vettel personally. Um, I think I'd probably go for Ricardo. To be fair, I think I'd take that risk. Uh, but when you, I thought you were taking Ricardo, I would have gone with Kimi. Uh, again, though, would be a risk because I think Kimi would either be amazing, or if he didn't want to be there, as we've seen from this week, where twice he's been in the car and twice he's managed to escape his media duties at the end of the day, yeah. he would just escape. You, you'd buy the first drink, and you'd be like, thanks, neck it, and walk out, and be like, yeah. you've had a pint with me down the pub, done. Or and he would have that technically would have counted. So, or he'd just drink you under the table, and you you'd be in a pretty but, bad shape at the end. But you'd have good stories out of that that's, surely that's true that's true um, so yeah I, but I, it, basically I'll take the other one that you're not mate you're the host here you, okay. you get to choose I'll, I'll say two. I'll say Danny Rick okay so I've got Kimmy Kimmy nice that's Fine. a good that's a good mix I, I think. and obviously they're listening and they're going to set it up so uh, yeah, we'll absolutely. let you know in the next podcast how, how, the, how, how, how drinks went who had the best time I think Lawrence might have the best time so I can see I can see Lawrence and Sebastian having a really long chat about all sorts of things maybe but I feel like he wouldn't have much he could tell us Either, but either for a gentleman's agreement that you just <laughs> yeah, wouldn't relay what happened that evening. Uh, whereas if we had that, it would be for crazy reasons. There'd be because they'd have some really interesting chats. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do it, find out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's episode five, guys. Please do stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> ESPN down the pub. Disclaimer, not everything Nate says right now is true. <laughs> yeah. And that can be said of the entire series that we're going to do on this podcast <laughs> for the rest of time. Um, the last one is a big can of worms, which I'm going to throw straight at Sir Christopher of Medland. Um, it's from Tony Latuga. He says, is Lewis Hamilton really the best driver of all time? Or is Michael Schumacher the best ever? I think it's a, it's a pretty wide question in F1 and difficult. Can you even attempt to answer that question? Is it impossible in Formula One? Yes. Good. Lawrence? <laughs> it's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I have a personal opinion. I think Lewis is, is a better driver. Um, I think he's more naturally talented. But I never really saw Michael Schumacher in his prime from within the paddock. So, yeah, yeah. So that... That probably has biased my opinion, but um, but I, I, I would say I would say Lewis is probably more impressive overall, and he doesn't have that side to him that Michael had, which was perhaps why Michael was so successful. That win at all costs, yeah. uh, you know, potentially dirty tricks element. Uh, Lewis seems to win everything basically on the merit of his own talent, and he believes in that, and that's how he goes about it. So I would, my personal opinion is Lewis, but that doesn't mean that's the actual case. Yeah, I think it's a great point about seeing people in their prime you know we like we hear about jim clark a lot i've seen probably maybe two minutes of jim clark you know on 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 youtube or whatever it is and you cannot appreciate somebody's talent when you're watching it like that even senna i've seen the senna movie but i never watched a race with senna live and i wasn't old enough so i think that does change everything but i just thought it was an interesting question because you get it a lot and this year especially that question with lewis on the cusp of the records he's on we're just going to hear that so much and it's interesting i, I keep Coming back to the fact that seeing Schumacher set his records, I never thought they were going to be yeah. unchallenged. Um, even when Vettel went on a run of four in a row, I, you just didn't think it was going to continue, and it, and it hasn't for Seb. So, um, and when Lewis won his first one, you thought, oh, maybe someone could go and get close to that. Same with Fernando winning two, both championships when he was young. But 
that both of them then stumbling afterwards showed how hard it was to do something like Michael did. And there's there's so much that has to come together for the records. But I'm, I'm with Lawrence. That doesn't necessarily mean the the title of best ever. But what's in your hand? As eh? you can both see, the pooch pouch is in my hand. <laughs> we, my, that's a working title, I think, for the for, for the rest of this series. Uh, so there's a sta- there's basically a question. You also have to read my handwriting. Um, but pull that out, and we will get going. So I have to. It's like the FA Cup. Delve into yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Just pull it out. Give it a read. Oh, I'm glad it's just pieces of paper in here. There's a chocolate bar in there as well. There's not. Uh, I think that's just one. I hope just so. Yeah. Struggled a bit there. Just, yeah. I just, well, just it, it felt like a very thick piece of paper. Uh, pick the Australian Grand Prix podium. Go. Um, it'll be the bit that's above the pit lane. <laughs> no, sorry, I won't be that idiot. Uh, I'm going to go with Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc. Which order is that in? Hamilton wins, Verstappen second, Leclerc third. Nice. That's I have to do this as well. I didn't even pick that question. Well, I think you can have a bit of a back and forth. All right. Um, you, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Bottas. Bottas wins. Bottas wins <sighs> for Stappen Albon. I was going to put Albon on mine. L- L- Lewis going to retire with a failure. Oh, oh that's, get that. I like this. Yeah, yeah. Here. Uh, I was going to say Hamilton for Stappen Albon. But Hamilton never starts season that well. You guys, you guys are setting yourself up for I know. a pretty dull year if Hamilton wins the first race. Right. So this is uh, Lawrence, Ed- Lawrence Edmondson now. I'm taking, delving in. Taking his. It was quite easy to get. Oh, double folded. Who wins more races, Red Bull or Ferrari? Um, I assume you mean over the year, not over all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just mean, I just mean in the next two weeks, yeah. who wins more? Uh, um, no, I, I don't, I, by the way. I mean the whole season. Over the whole season, uh, I'm going to go with Red Bull on the basis of what I've seen so far. Um, and in fact, if you put it on the basis of last year, they both won the same amount, didn't they? Both won yeah, three, three races. Each, by the so, end, yeah. so yeah, I'm, I think Rebel are going to push ahead this year. Agreed. Yep. Same. Madness. Oh, so oh, you know what the questions are? Yeah, I mean, I I know them all, so I could do it, but it would. No, nah, that's true. Right, I'm in. <laughs> Have that sound effects. Best livery. Easy. Alpha Tauri. Next. Yeah, and um, described as a blue whale by uh, another journalist, Ben Hunt, in the paddock. Lawrence? Um, do you come back? To, I haven't seen the Rennie yet, have quick we? Quickfire. That's true. As of right now, and it is quickfire. As you've taken out, this is like the Ricardo. You can agree. Thing. I agree, but I also actually really like, the more I looked at it, the more I liked the Ferrari with you know more red on the, the front wing. And it was redder, as Sebastian Vettel said. I thought it was great. Great car. Can't decide. Renault. Renault, Renault and their TBC The Renault car. I haven't seen yet. Yeah, no, their testing car was really good. It's a shame. I, I like the all-black testing car, that's yeah. true. We had this so, question last week, I seem to We did, sorry. I, 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 I ran out of, oh, ran out of questions for... Oh. So, Lawrence Edmondson. Right, right down at the bottom the of the pouch. With the penultimate one. And we have first race retirement. Well, given that I've already said Lewis will retire from the Australian Grand Prix, I might as well just stick with that. Yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? Nice. George Russell. George Russell. Because for two reasons, I'm going to back it up as well. One, Williams really had trouble with the reliability of the Mercedes power unit, it seemed to be, during testing. But maybe that's not coincidental. We'll wait and see. But secondly, because I do think Williams are going to be close to that midfield and he has been chomping at the bit to have a go in some proper racing in Formula 1 for a whole year. And I just wonder if in doing so, it might catch him out. So I feel like there's two strands that could cause it. So, George Russell. I think one of the house drivers is going to knock the other house driver out of the race on the first lap they've both Good sat and watched show. the Netflix show where their whole thing 
is out there. They're both going to want to beat the, the other guy into turn one. They're going to be quite far back, I think. So they're going to be trying to make up ground. And I think that those two just seem to have a magnetic attraction. I'm going to say Magnuson gets knocked out by Grosjean. You heard it here first. And by that, you mean he's taken out of the race, not an unconscious Magnuson. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very just good, very good clear. clarification. I mean, his car is knocked out of the race. Magnuson's fine. Uh, probably a bit mad. But he's he's okay. And Grosjean probably goes on and finishes like 10th or something. Grosjean goes on. <laughs> yeah, Grosjean goes on and on and on. Last one for Chris Mann. I can't actually remember what this question is either, so maybe <laughs> I can take this one. The, 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 the pouch. I've got the pouch. The pouch. <laughs> there we go. Pouch has got technical issues, but we're, we're yeah. there. Which team wins best of the rest in 2020? Uh, yeah, we kind of covered this already, didn't we? Uh, yeah, but, but we've got to stick our money where our mouths are. Um, McLaren. Renault, to be different. Ooh. Ooh. That is that is left field. I wasn't expecting that. I, I'll back it up with saying a little bit of what I said earlier, is that I think there's a lot of pressure on Renault to finish fourth. Yeah. Um, I, I think the car concept is, is quite good. I think there's maybe a bit more development potential in it. So I wouldn't read too much into where we may think they are now. And uh, I think they've got two really, really good drivers. I think they've got a better driver lineup of all those teams we expect to fight for fourth. Well, that's a very similar theme to why I don't think it's racing point, because I think I have, I think Perez is very strong and I'm not convinced about Lance Stroll. And I think the McLaren showed last year they have two very, very competitive drivers who were both really pushing each other to very good results. So I'd say McLaren over racing point. Uh, but Renault, yeah, Renault could be up there. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying McLaren as well. So was it two, two McLaren and one Renault? One Renault. So no one picking racing no point. No one picking racing I, point. I do agree with you though on that, uh, the driver lineup aspect. And I actually think we'll see Stroll. Um, improve a little bit again this year and he seems to be better in races than qualifying mm. but in such a tight fight you, you need to be the whole package and yeah. probably start to lean towards what Lawrence says actually maybe you'd go Ricardo and Ocon out of those two but I'm still going to go McLaren overall they were really impressive last year yeah Ricardo and Ocon's a really good driver lineup. I think that's potentially one of the stronger ones uh, now I've, I've listened to this podcast before aren't there regular features that well yeah there's so there's there's a 15 second thing which I was kind of had replaced with the with the Nate pooch, but uh, with the pooch pouch, whatever it's called, the Nate pooch pouch. But we can bring it in. I mean, but then I, I don't know how we're gonna. I don't fifteen know how seconds, gone. Fifteen seconds. What do you, you want to talk about in fifteen seconds? Sum up testing, maybe fifteen seconds. Yeah. That, that, All right. Well, if you do, can talk while, Nate, I, while I load. Lawrence have his own. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, that that that's true. Lawrence gets nerdy was kind of done. We just didn't do the intro to it, which Lawrence I feel. gets nerdy. No, I, I think we've already done. It. And actually, if you want more, which you probably don't, then um, read the uh, the article, the analysis that's coming up on ESPN dot com uh, the weekend after testing. Depends when you're listening to this. It should already be up if you're listening to this. But I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the 15 seconds, and I'm going to challenge you two oh. um, to do it, because uh, every time I've always been part of this challenge. And He does uh, incredible at getting like either spot on or the Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari one you did, that was the most casual thing I've ever heard. And didn't win. Didn't, yeah, just put it out there. Yeah, uh, I, I, I regretted that, actually. When I listened back to the podcast, it was good. So what? So so it's Lawrence asking... Yes, yeah, so um, you need to sum up testing in 15 seconds uh, for those of you that can't see which is everyone um, uh, listening back home I'm going to show the stop clock to uh, Nate and he's going to have 15 seconds quick quick oh, clar- clarification summing up testing just broad or however up I to up you you, uh, you have okay. the creative freedom to do, do, okay. as you, do as you please so starting now okay so potentially the quickest uh, the closest ever F1 season coming up Mercedes still look good 
Uh, quite shaky in terms of reliability. Red Bull, I would say, are the next best team. Max Verstappen, this could be a year where he challenges for the title, doesn't quite get there. I think Lewis wins overall. <sighs> it's pretty good. Uh, no, I, I think you got 15 seconds. I think I was a bit slow on the... It wasn't on testing the, uh, either, really. I got bogged down into... I, 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 15.48. Yeah. Um, yeah, we won't analyse just yet. We'll let Chris go Yeah, so 15.48 that was. 15.48. Um, Chris Medland, testing in 15 seconds, starting now. Mercedes look quick, maybe slightly unreliable, but quickest. Red Bull look like second quickest, but the rear end's a little bit unstable. Ferrari don't know what they're doing, but definitely third quickest. Then really tight between McLaren, Racing Point, and Renault. I'm going with McLaren just ahead of there. Then you've got a group of AlphaTauri, Haas, uh, Alfa Romeo, and Williams looking better. So I'm going to concede straight away because there's no way on earth mine beats. I think also Chris needs to do horse racing commentary because that was pretty impressive. I, I, I mean, I, I'm the judge here, so I get to decide. That's true. I just like that he said Ferrari don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's, <laughs> that I, I think you won it on that. I think that was it. It was words to that effect. Certainly. <laughs> it's like you were speaking um, in tongues. You don't even know what you said. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. What just happened? It's a constant Where am I? stream of consciousness so just Lawrence, came out I, I on the plate. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Nate, but that that was. That's uh, fair. I'm a little bit disappointed. Neither of you took a more creative approach. Uh, maybe tried to paint more of a picture of what it was like to be in the media centre yeah. uh, <laughs> for six whole days, uh, surrounded by many other sweaty journalists but still um i think you actually both got the same time 15, no 15.47 is me 15.48 yeah. was me oh, so oh, well, there you go so so, no, I, didn't uh, sorry, so I didn't even get it doing the quickest time yeah either. chris wins on time as well so wow. um chris chris is a winner um yes mate the pressure is really building and you to keep this job it really is <laughs> well um and that brings me nicely to the outro that i was thinking of earlier for anyone listening uh alexis nunes is back next week and she's taking on the host role and any chance of nate usurping her so i just referred to myself as <laughs> nate <laughs> i'm absolutely losing the plot any chance of me usurping her has completely gone out of the window because um of that shambolic finish that we've just had but mr madeline thank you very much for coming on i'm sure we'll have you back on thank and, you very much uh, i'm gonna have to work on the intro next time to make it even better because i think it was quite a good intro right i've talked a lot about my intros for you yeah i was gonna be a good one i've already heard one that might give away a future one but you were gonna introduce me as raised by puffins so i'm glad yeah. you didn't do that this i time. was yeah i felt like that was something that maybe for the first time wouldn't make a lot of sense but now you've ruined it for the second time well, well there's a only... story there must be a story there but like i said we'll, we'll yeah, yeah that's it. that's Let, that's, we'll for the, that's for the chris madden special that we're doing yeah. uh, you have to keep yeah. listening yeah absolutely that'll Just be on my episode he was five really or... raised by puffins I thought he was. Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. We'll be back next week. We're not quite sure what we're going to talk about just yet. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, wide topics. There might well be a development to the engine story that we talked about at the top of the podcast. Um, but there's going to be there's going to be so many wild predictions that we can make, and we're very good at doing those. Uh, Madden, you're <laughs> gesturing at me. I don't know what that means. It's very difficult to gesture this, but uh, probably coronavirus might come up, I think. Yes, that's a very uh, good point. We, we've Some... tried to dodge it in this because we're talking about testing and yeah. how the teams look. But yeah, I think that might be a hot topic for you guys going forward. I'm glad you get to talk about it, not me. Yeah, uh, it did dominate um, quite a bit of the this week. And at the moment, it's so difficult for us to even say anything now because by the time people listen to this, the whole situation would have changed in terms of who can fly where. Um, but obviously the first three races are flyaways and the fourth race has been postponed because of that very reason. So at the moment, um, yeah, that's all very much up in the air and it will likely be something we can update on. Um, but I think that is just about a wrap. I think we've covered preseason pretty nicely. Uh, you've also shattered my confidence in myself as a host. But you finished strongly there because you talked about flyaway races and then it being up in the air. That was very good. That was completely Fantastic. intentional. I'm glad that you noticed that that I had planned ahead of time. Maybe. Excellently done. Yeah. Chris, Never doubted you. Mr. Madden, thank you very much for coming on. Lawrence, I will see you on the drive to the airport tomorrow and in the office next week. You hope. And Can't the week wait. after. <laughs> you can feel the love right now in this room. 
I'm going to sign off there because this is descending into absolute chaos. Thank you for listening. Please check out our social handles at ESPNF1. Um, and yeah, please do keep coming back to uh, ESPN and read the, the words that we write because I really hope somebody, somebody does. <laughs>